It is Tuesday, August 6th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and we are now beyond the first game of the preseason. We are two days away from the rest of the league getting in on preseason action. That means we've had more than a week of training camp practices, buzz, injuries, early disappointments. There's movement up and down the ADP board. We will be covering some of the most significant early fantasy movers on today's show. Of course, there has also already been plenty of movement in our rankings. You can head over to DraftSharks.com any day to see who's up or down the board. And in case you miss any of that movement, Jared collects all of it at the end of the week and a nice tidy article to catch you up on what happened lately. If you want to stay up to date on a daily basis, you should be signed up for our daily email. You don't even need to be a DS Insider for that one. It's free. We will hit you with shark bites. We will hit you with brand new articles every day leading up to the season. Today's email, for example, would have let you know that our 2019 breakout player article is live on DraftSharks.com right now. And Jared, it's a pick that has shifted a little in recent weeks, right? Yeah, you know, the guy that we were sort of on really all offseason ended up being the honorable mention. So he's still in there. The, the nice thing um, is that, you know, the, the guy we actually went with for breakout and the honorable mention, they're both going in the same range of drafts. So it's sort of like I'm targeting the breakout, and then if I miss on him, I can you know sort of shift over to the honorable mention guy. Yeah, and there's even another guy or two in the mix there. And it's not like this player is somebody that we took a left turn to get to in recent days. It's somebody who was close and uh, just kind of the two the combo of the two situations steered us in this direction lately. But I I am I'm strong on the pick. I like getting him. I have liked him more as we've gone through the spring. So I'm feeling good about it. What about you? Feeling great about it. I mean, that's why he's our guy. There you go. And Jared wrote it. So if he's not feeling good about it, then uh, you'd have to worry. As I mentioned, we'll be talking ADP movers on today's show. And this episode is brought to you by the FFPC, which is on the verge of its next draft position deadline. Register your main event team at myffpc.com, myffpc.com, by Tuesday, August 13th, and you will get your draft position by Thursday the 15th. That gives you a jump start in your competition by letting you prepare for your specific draft slot while everybody else in your league is planning for a wide variety of scenarios. Jared, you and I just did a $250 best ball draft on myffpc.com over Hall of Fame weekend. I know you did another FFPC format draft a day or two later. Do you have a favorite draft position or draft range in your FFPC draft so far? Yeah, that last one I did, I picked from the sixth spot, and after doing that draft, I think that that's my favorite spot now, especially in FFPC, because I think in the first round, to me, there's the, there's the top five running backs, and then Travis Kelsey is sort of a clear top six, so, so you're just taking whoever's left at that point, and then I really like what's available in the middle of round two, I like the options in the middle of round three, then you just sort of go from there, and of course, being in the middle, you don't have to worry about having you know 20 plus picks in between and, and getting caught out of positional runs. Yeah, that's the thing that that scares me sometimes in FFPC drafts is trying to predict when those runs are coming and worrying that I'm going to get frozen out of something that I want. So I think being in the middle of a round there is even more favorable than it is elsewhere, making sure I get uh, kickers, defenses, tight ends, you know, everything that I that I know I need to get. So I'm with you there. And, you know, Travis Kelsey's in the mix if you're in the middle of round one, which in that tight end premium scoring is always a nice thing to start with. 
Yep, that's actually who I took um, at six overall in that uh, last draft I did. There you go. So head to myffpc.com right now. Register your main event team. Get that early draft slot. Jump into some best ball drafts while you're there. Help you prepare for the big thing and, you know, win some cash along the way. For now, let's get to some players moving up and down the board. And these might not necessarily be guys that have seen huge swings in their ADP recently, but players whose perception is moving. And and I think, Jared, even in addition to just paying attention to who has changed the most ADP-wise, I think it's worth keeping in mind the guys who have been generating buzz, even if they haven't moved, because they're the guys who you might see jump two rounds ahead of ADP in your draft. And I think it's important to determine ahead of time whether you're willing to go ahead for a player that you really want or whether you want to stay around his ADP as for targeting him and you won't be too disappointed if he goes before he gets to you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, this is one of my favorite times of the year just with camps opening and we get, we're getting all this information from beat writers. Um, and, and yeah, ADPs are going to move. Our rankings are going to move. I think that the challenge is sort of figuring out what's real and what's, you know, maybe more of a mirage and, you know, guys and, you know, hype that we have to try to avoid. All right. So let's talk about who's moving up and down the board. Players you might want to avoid now because they've moved out of value range. Jared, who is first up among the risers? Let's start with Miles Sanders because I think he's probably been the most buzzy player league-wide really through the first couple weeks of training camp I mean any Eagles beat writer you read is gonna you know be hyping Miles Sanders I think it's pretty clear that these folks watching the team can already see he's the team's best runner Um, the interesting thing though is you know pretty much every article you read on Sanders makes some mention about the fact that he still needs work in the passing game whether it's pass catching or pass blocking so I'm still not convinced that he's going to play a huge role in the passing game. And that's obviously a concern if his ADP continues to rise. Right now, it's still in the late seventh round in drafts on draft.com over the last week. I think he's fine there, but if he starts climbing into the fourth and fifth, I think it's start to it's going to become an issue that he's maybe not going to do a whole lot in the passing game. Yeah, he's a guy that I think you're going to see an owner here or there in a draft jump ahead, a round ahead, even two rounds ahead because they fall in love with the Miles Sanders buzz, and especially if he has a big preseason game at some point. So I think it'll be important to determine for yourself ahead of time whether you want to chase that. I would personally not chase it. I think that Miles Sanders is an upside player where he's going, but if you chase it much above that, then you're playing with a situation that really has the potential to be frustrating all year. Yeah, I mean, again, this is the Eagles. It's a team that's been a committee backfield. So I think folks expecting Sanders to just be this three-down workhorse, I I think they're going to be disappointed. Yeah, I was starting to worry about Miles Sanders in general and leaning toward Jordan Howard because the, the early reports were, well... Miles Sanders is talented, but Jordan Howard is dominating carries and he's clearly going to be the lead back. And we expect him to lead this team in carries this year. But then all of the Miles Sanders is obviously the best back in Eagles camp stuff has me thinking, all right, I'll I'll take him as the upside guy. He's only three spots in running back ADP ahead of Jordan Howard right now. I think that's really appropriate valuation for both players at this point. Yeah, again, late seventh round ADP for Sanders. I think he's a good pick there. I think there, there's upside there. But if he climbs, you know, a couple of rounds, which I definitely think it's possible with all this buzz. And like you mentioned, he's someone that you could see, you know, breaking one long run in the preseason. And all of a sudden he's a third round pick. Yeah, and I think even once we get past best ball, it's okay to draft both of these guys to the same fantasy roster, which yeah. is not going to be true with a lot of backfields. Yeah, for sure. Sony Michelle's the next guy up on the list, running back 26. So he has moved up because 
We didn't see any of them in the spring, and all we heard was that he had a knee operation. And the knee is a red was a red flag for Michelle coming into the league. It's already been an issue. He already had two surgeries on it since he entered the NFL. So we were all worried. He was going like three, four turn back in spring. He then dropped into round five, maybe even round six at times. But right now, RB26, middle of round five. He has risen some, but not nearly to the point where he was originally. Yeah, exactly. And we've started to hear some good things on Michelle now, really just over the past week. I mean, he, he avoided the pup list open camp, but he didn't really do much early. But he seems like he's been closer to full participation lately. He's been, he's been getting some good reviews. We've also seen multiple mentions of Michelle being more active in the passing game this summer than last. And, you know, that, that would be big for him. You know, he caught, he had just 14 targets in his 16 games last year. Even if he can, you know, just double that passing game usage, it would, I think it would help him be a more consistent fantasy producer. Yeah. And it's not like he didn't do any of the receiving stuff in college. He came in being lauded for his pass blocking, which is rare for a rookie running back. And he was decently involved. He had two years of 20 plus catches, 26 as a sophomore, 22 as a junior, Mm -hmm. despite playing in a crowded, talented backfield. So you can envision Sony Michelle adding receiving work as opposed to you know, just counting it as a knock against him because of his low number of targets last year. Yeah. I mean, if you can just get 25 to 30 catches, I think that'd go a long way. Uh, Lamar Miller is the next running back up. And even though Deontay Foreman has been dumped, uh, Lamar Miller, even just over the past two days, I checked ADP, still going RB31. That's exactly where he was going at the start of training camp. (laughs) Fantasy drafters do not want him. (laughs) They don't want him. I I mean, I'm not even excited to draft him when he's atop the rankings. But I mean, I I do think the Deontay Foreman thing makes him a safer bet. And we'll, you know, we'll see. I still expect the Texans to add someone to this backfield because right now behind Lamar Miller, there's a couple undrafted rookies in Demaria Crockett and Karan Higdon. Then there's guys, Josh Ferguson, Taiwan Jones, and Buddy Howell. So, I mean, it's, it's the weakest running back depth chart right now behind, you know, the starter. So I don't think Houston goes into the season with this backfield, but I also think that Miller, you know, remains locked in to at least the role he played last season and that made him a pretty, you know, consistent week to week running back too. Yeah. I mean, he at least deserves to be going higher than he is. Nobody's going to get excited about it, but really that can be where you find the value is not getting blown away by the players who are exciting people and actually looking at the facts and realizing, Oh, this guy is a steady value. And even though I won't be jumping up and down, he's going to deliver for me. Uh, Demaria Crockett seems to be the one generating buzz among the Twitter scouts easily over Karan Higdon. I don't think that it's a spot to pick a favorite and run with it. Like you said, I don't think that this is a backfield they're going into the season with. I don't think either of those guys is likely to be fantasy relevant. Well, you know, stranger things have happened, but I wouldn't bet on either Higdon or Crockett playing a big role in the 2019 fantasy season. Yeah, Crockett's the guy that's been getting some buzz since the Foreman release. Um, he, he's most similar to Foreman as far as size goes. So, you know, maybe he is a, an option around the goal line. If we get to September and they haven't added anyone, then, you know, Crockett could be worth a late, late round flyer pick. Um, but but as of now, I think it, it's Lamar Miller. Then you're just, just uh, ignoring this Texans backfield. Yeah, I wouldn't draft either one at the moment. Uh, you might, if you have Demarie Crockett in a deeper dynasty league, maybe go ahead and try to sell him right now because there are people talking him up at this point. Yeah, th- th- this might be the peak of Crockett's uh, fantasy value right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, he was the better speed prospect coming out of college, but disappointing production, whereas Higdon was unspectacular as a prospect, but saw some heavy rushing usage over his final two seasons. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a reason both those guys went undrafted. 
Right. All right. Hit us with the next running back on the list. Uh, Kalen Balazs in Miami, who, you know, the, the big story when camp opened was that he was getting the first reps with the starters. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, you know, Balazs and Drake have sort of been splitting first team reps since then. Um, they're listed as co-starters on Miami's first depth chart. Um, and, and, you know, as much as I want Kenny and Drake to be, you know, something close to a three down back, I don't think we're going to get that. Um, you know, ESPN's Cameron Wolf uh, had an article recently with, with some backfield projections and, I'm usually skeptical of backfield projections or any projections from beaters, but this one actually made sense. You know, he had he had around 175 touches for Balaj this season, 200, 200 for Kenny and Drake. Um, you know, if we're buying into that, I, I think it does make some sense. It'd still be an increase in touches for Drake, um, who had about 170-something last year and still finishes a top 15 running back. Um, but I, th- I think the big news is Balaj, and I think you know, if he's going to get somewhere close to 175 touches, he can be you know an RB3 or flex option for us. Yeah, I, I, Balaj has certainly moved into consideration range for me. It was 100 and, yeah, 173 touches for uh, Drake last year, 120 carries, 53 catches. I would like to think that we're going to at least get him past 200, but I guess the 200 does make sense. And I mean, it really, even though I think that we would all look at this and say that Drake is probably the better player, he also entered the league as somebody that we didn't really expect to be an every down back type of player. So it's probably best for Miami to plan this kind of backfield split. The thing that makes me, makes me not want to give up on Kenyon Drake. And we'll talk about the effect on Drake in a few minutes. Uh, The thing that makes me want to still lean toward Drake as the better draft value though, is he was the better college performer than Kalen Balaj and more so than, than Drake, I guess Kalen Balaj was just kind of a disappointing college performer for a guy who wins on size and speed. Yeah. Drake had the better college career. Um, he, he was better than Balaj last year. Of course, and it was Balaj's rookie season. Um, yeah, I, I believe Drake's the better player, but you know, volume rules all in fantasy football. Um, and Balaj too. I mean, I know we took him late. I think it was 10th or 11th round in the FFPC draft we did over the weekend and in draft ADP over the last week now, you know, you know since we've sort of known that Blodge is going to play a bigger role than expected, um, his ADP is still sitting in round 11. Yeah, he is though up to running back 42 compared with running back 46 before training camp started. Mm-hmm. That's up about three and a half rounds. So certainly climbed quite a bit, but he's still in a fine range. I don't, yeah. I don't hate killing Blodge at this point. Yeah. I, I think he makes sense. I hate Miami in general. Yeah, that's true. I mean, not a team we want to be over invested in, but you know, I mean, if you can get Kenny and Drake in the sixth round and Blodge in the 11th, I think, I think those are fair prices. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Devin Singletary. Uh, what's the buzz on him? Yeah, he's working in with the starters, and we saw it when we went to Bills camp last week. Um, Singletary was, you know, getting just about as many first team reps as LaShawn McCoy was. Frank Gore wasn't practicing that day, but you know that's that's been the buzz out of Bills camp is Singletary's getting work with the starter. Seems like he has a shot to open um, the season with some type of role, and he's still available super late in drafts. Thirteenth um, round ADP on Draft.com over the last week. Yeah, I've been surprised that he hasn't climbed more than he has to this point. Was running back 57 heading into training camp, running back 55 right now, less than a full round of movement upward. And, you know, I I get why he hasn't moved a lot because it's a crowded backfield and fantasy owners don't like to bet on crowded backfields. But the other side of it being a crowd is that there's no clear leader. And Mm -hmm. LaShawn McCoy is the most likely guy to open the season as the starter. But 
He's coming off a terrible season. He's getting old. And they drafted Devin Singletary fairly high. I mean, even if McCoy manages to stay healthy and is a little bit better than last year, he's not going to dominate the backfield like he did last year. So Devin Singletary is going to do something. Yeah, I mean, as late as McCoy goes in drafts, um, Singletary is still the Bills running back I'm most interested in. So Sean McCoy is down from running back 43 to 45. So basically the same spot. He hasn't really dropped. Devin Singletary has not moved up. Frank Gore is sticking <laughs> at the end of drafts, running back 76 on draft.com and ADP. So I, I, I don't want to get excited about any of those players, but at the, play, at the spot they're all going, I think they're all value picks. I mean, it, it's almost a guarantee that one of them is going to outproduce that ADP. Curtis Samuel is the first receiver on our list. And the latest tweet today was from <laughs> one of the writers saying, I don't know that DJ Moore is going to be the number one wideout. It might be Curtis Samuel this year. I mean, not not crazy, I guess. I mean, I was a big DJ Moore fan. I you know, he I think he had the better prospect profile. Um, he, he had a better rookie year than even Samuel had as a second year. But I mean, Samuel has definitely been maybe, you know, the buzziest wide receiver league wide in camp so far. Definitely been getting more buzz from Panthers camp than DJ Moore. Um, and he, you know, he, and Samuel's ADP has climbed. It's up into the eighth round now, but that's still, you know, three, four rounds later than DJ Moore. So I, I still, as much as I love Moore, I still think Samuel is the best value in the Panthers wide receiver core. I think it's, I think the value between them is pretty close at where they're going. I think DJ Moore is still the better bet to be the top receiver, but you know, like you said, I don't think it would be shocking if Curtis Samuel outperforms. I and mean, I think that's certainly within the range of possibilities. DJ Moore is going wide receiver 22. Curtis Samuel is now wide receiver 36. Mm-hmm. Both fair levels. I haven't found myself eyeing either of them too much because I think DJ Moore is going around some guys that that feel a bit safer or in higher upside pass offenses. So when I look at them that way, I have been considering Samuel a bit more strongly than I have more overall. Yeah, I've drafted more Samuel, although you know, I think a lot of that came earlier in the offseason when he was going in the 10th, 11th round. Oh, that was so nice. Yep. Dante Moncrief in Pittsburgh has generated some buzz and hasn't moved as much as I would have thought it would with yeah. how much he's been talked about. Yeah, I, I'm I'm seeing James Washington go ahead of Moncrief still in a lot of drafts I'm doing, which which just doesn't seem right to me. I mean, everything we've heard is Moncrief is running as the clear you know number two wide receiver alongside Juju Smith-Schuster. You know, with with the starting offense, we, there's been reports of Moncrief's connection with Ben Roethlisberger. You know, looking on point for a guy who just arrived this offseason. Um, we, we did just learn that Moncrief has a finger injury that's had him side, sidelined for you know the past week or so. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But, um, you know, if, if you're looking for that Steelers number two wide receiver, I think Moncrief's the guy you should be targeting. Yeah, neither Moncrief nor James Washington has really moved in ADP since the start of training camp, even though Moncrief's been the one getting all of the buzz. I mean, fantasy drafters always like the new shiny thing over the thing that's sure. been around for a while and isn't thrilling. But in this case, I don't think either one's thrilling. I think you go with the veteran who has been generating more buzz. I would take Moncrief at the same time. I have not been taking much of either player. I've taken Moncrief a bit. You know, once you get into the double digit rounds, I think he's worth a shot just being tied to that offense. We know there's all those targets available from Antonio Brown's departure. Keyshawn Johnson is not somebody that I've talked about. There was a different Keyshawn Johnson around. What's going on with him? Yeah. So, you know, the third wide receiver drafted by the Cardinals uh, this spring behind Andy Isabella and, and Hakeem Butler, but it sounds like Johnson's already past Isabella and Butler. The athletic Scott Bodro called Keyshawn Johnson the team's, quote, clear number three wide receiver at this point. Um, Isabella and Butler have both reportedly been struggling with drops in training camp, so this situation isn't settled yet. I think, you know, the, the preseason will, will mean a lot here, 
Um, but if you are, you know, looking late in best ball drafts, I think Keyshawn Johnson is someone to keep in mind. Yeah. And Keyshawn Johnson went from basically no ADP heading into camp mm-hmm. to barely even on the board now, wide receiver 84. And as you said, this is still an unsettled situation. Kevin White showed up on the initial depth chart as the third receiver with Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk. And then the Cardinals signed but didn't sign Michael <laughs> Crabtree this week. So yeah. it, it it's that suggests that Arizona is not set on its wide receivers and that maybe the rookies are not quite living up to what Cliff Kingsbury's staff was hoping that they would. Yeah, and we know this Cardinals offense is going to, you know, be using a bunch of wide receivers out on the field. There was another article this week talking about how the Cardinals, you know, base offense or, you know, most popular formation is going to be with four wide receivers on the field. So someone like Keyshawn Johnson, even if he's the number three wide receiver, um, he's going to be on the field a bunch. And, you know, that, that, that means opportunity for fantasy points. Yeah, and most importantly, he's going to be drafted, when he's drafted, he's going to be drafted in the why not range. You don't really have to like him to take a shot on him late in the draft. Yep, exactly. Miles Boykin is another rookie on the list. He's up from wide receiver 99 pre-camp to wide receiver 78, so not high, still mid-round 17, but a, a big change from heading into the summer. Yeah, and we, we've heard multiple beat writers say Miles Boykin has been the Ravens' best wide receiver in camp so far. Now, that, that's not saying a whole lot considering the wide receiver group they have there. And, you know, since Marquise Brown really just got on the field, and he's practiced just a few times now after that offseason foot surgery. But, I mean, Blinken has every shot, I think, to open the season as at least a top two wide receiver in Baltimore. Um, you know, has the size, has the athleticism. So especially as a late best ball pick, I think he's a guy to definitely, you know, keep in mind. Now, wait a second. You're telling me that Miles Boykin has been better than both <laughs> Seth Roberts and Jaleel Scott? Yeah, in, in unpadded practices. Like, you know, you know this big, fast guy is going to look good there. Yeah, well, when you get the pads on, that's that's when Seth Roberts starts to dominate. So, <laughs> Seth call, give me a call when Miles Boykin and Seth Roberts are banging in the pads. <laughs> right. But, I mean, you know, that the all the reasons to take a shot on Marquise Brown are the reasons to take a shot on Miles Boykin. He's not as fast as Marquise Brown, but he's bigger. Yeah. He, Tested great in all the other ways. You know, I, I didn't love him when I watched the Notre Dame stuff, but I only watched a few games. It's entirely possible that I didn't get the right impression on him. And there are plenty of other guys, including Josh Norris for Roto World, mm-hmm. uh, who were big fan Matt Waldman, who were big fans of Miles Boykin headed in. Yeah, I believe Matt Harmon was too, you know, who, who's maybe the, the, the top wide receiver guy in the fantasy industry. I know he was a big Boykin fan. So, yeah, definitely a guy who I think has opportunity this season. And related to this, Lamar Jackson has been generating some positive buzz for his passing lately. Yeah, it sounds like he's just sort of, you know, taking the step forward we sort of hoped for. And it, it sounded like it was ugly in spring workouts. But, you know, over the past few weeks now, we're hearing some positive things on Lamar Jackson. So, you know, he, he just has to be OK as a passer. because mm-hmm. We know he's going to put up the big rushing number. So, you know, Jackson, a guy I haven't drafted a lot of so far, but I'm definitely willing to come up on him and maybe, you know, start to snag him in a few places. Yeah, I'm more curious to see him play in the preseason than I am most players in the league, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Closing out the wide receivers, we got a duo from New England. Jacoby Myers, an undrafted rookie. Maurice Harris was a free agent signee from Washington. Uh, What's the deal with them? Yeah, both of these guys have been getting a bunch of first team reps. Um, and, and according to, you know, most things we're reading that Myers and Harris are both outplaying Nikhil Harry so far, you know, the Patriots first round rookie. It sounds like Harry's just been up and down. Harris, like you said, has some experience with Washington last year, played a bit. Myers an undrafted free agent, but, um, you know, it's, it sounds like these guys have a shot. You know, of course, Julian Edelman's been sidelined. 
Um, we'll see what happens with the Josh Gordon stuff. You know, he's applied for reinstatement, but um, you know, there's room, I think, for at least one of these two guys, Myers and Harris, to you know be on the field quite a bit for the Patriots early this season. Yeah, and just like Keyshawn Johnson and Miles Boykin, they're going in the why not range. If you stash them in the last round or two of a draft, see what happens. And if nothing happens over the first two weeks, you dump them. I think we should not forget about Philip Dorsett there as another guy who's not going to excite you, but he's around and he got more red zone work than you would have expected last year. Uh, and I think maybe the whole situation is a reason to keep in mind Ben Watson and maybe even another argument in favor of Sony Michelle and James White. And not don't don't forget about Julian Edelman either. I mean, he's sort of out of sight, out of mind with the with the thumb injury, but you know he's he's going to come back and dominate targets. Yeah, and he's still been going in the fourth round too. So uh, yeah, I would I certainly wouldn't get excited too excited about either of these wideouts, but they're worth keeping an eye on, worth considering toward the very end of draft, especially if you go deeper than twenty rounds. Yep, for sure. The one tight end on the list is Jordan Reed, and the good thing is that we haven't heard yet about Jordan Reed being hurt, right? Right, exactly. He had a healthy offseason, no surgeries. The fir- first time in three years, he's really, you know, had an offseason where he wasn't rehabbing. And then, you know, according to a lot of the people around the Redskins, has been the team's best offensive player in training camp so far. Again, you know, that not saying a whole lot with the wide receiver core there. But, you know, that, that's, a, that's a reason a healthy read has a real shot. Might even be the favorite to lead the Redskins in targets this season. Yeah, I mean, he led last year's team in targets despite missing three games. I mean, even if they weren't saying anything good about his play, the fact that we have not heard about him favoring a foot or wearing a special shoe because of a toe injury <laughs> is really all we need from Jordan Reed in training camp because it's been several years since that has been the case. He started out barely on the ADP radar, tight end 21 heading into training camps. He's up to tight end 15 in recent drafting up about a round and a half overall that's still mid to late round 12 though and I think that that tight end 15 is like the appropriate range and still maybe even a little bit low on Jordan Reed yeah I mean I, I feel like it's a bit low because I've been drafting him, him a bunch um you know once you get you know into that range where he's in um you know there's not many guys that are gonna bring the weekly upside that Reed is gonna as long as he's healthy this season still going three spots in positional ADP behind Mark Andrews by the way <laughs> of course he is <laughs> on the fallers side who's the first tumbler we got it's uh damian williams who has been sidelined um about a week and a half now with his hamstring injury and andy reed talked about it the other day and sounded frustrated with williams inability to get on the field uh reed talked up carlos hyde so you know there there's some opportunity here for hyde for maybe even rookie darwin thompson to you know start to carve out a role i i, I would bet against williams you know playing in the preseason opener this coming week. So, you know, that that's going to be an opportunity for these other guys to maybe start to make up some ground on them. Yeah. Been out with the hamstring injury for a little while. Offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy did confirm uh, within the past couple of days that Damian Williams is still the starter and drafters haven't really seemed to care so much so right. far. Damian Williams is still running back 12 on play draft right now. He's one running back spot and five overall picks ahead of Melvin Gordon. So Drafters aren't concerned about him. I think it's because nobody's excited about drafting Carlos Hyde. And that's my initial reaction too. But when I think about that, then I think, well, wait a second. This time last year, I was even less excited about Damian Williams. He was a complete non-factor in Kansas City at this at this exact time last year. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about Andy Reid's history with his backfields and producing fantasy points. I mean, someone's going to be a fantasy factor here. If Williams isn't ready for the start of the season, you know, Hyde's probably the best bet to be that guy. 
Yeah, and Hyde's still going in a fine value range. I, I took him this morning on play draft. He's running back 48 right now. So you don't have to get excited about Carlos Hyde to take a shot on him right now. And if you don't want to draft Carlos Hyde, Darwin Thompson is still just running back 66. So you could take a shot on either one of those guys and see what happens. And if nothing happens, then it's no big deal. Yep, I took Hyde. I, I think it was like the 14th round is my RB5 in that uh, last FFPC draft I did. All right, so next running back on the faller list is Kenyon Drake, who has really made more of a move down the ADP board than a lot of the other guys on this list. Obviously, with all the Kalen Balaj buzz, Kenyon Drake was RB21 on the brink of training camp, right in the middle of round four. Now he's running back 29 early in round six, almost a two-round drop. Jared, does that make you scared to take Kenyon Drake right now with the Balaj stuff, or has it knocked Drake back into a range where he's more attractive? Yeah, I'm going to take the discount on Drake. I mean, I, I think he was maybe slightly undervalued, you know, back in the spring when we thought he was going to be, you know, closer to a three-down back. I think he's still probably undervalued now with people scared off by the Balaj stuff. Um, you know, again, we, we we talked about it. Drake, 173 touches last year, still finished RB14 in PPR. RB21, even in non-PPR league. So I, I still think he's going to get more touches this season. And I think he's you know still a good bat to finish you know in that RB2 territory. Yeah, he's one of those guys that I have to talk to myself about before the draft because when he comes up on the draft board, I'm like, it feels like a, an unsafe situation. But when I'm not in the middle of a draft and being rational about it, I can say, well, he saw a bunch of targets last year, 73 of them. The wide receiver situation did, has not gotten any better in Miami. So even if he's splitting carries with Kalen Balaj more than I would like for him to, Kenyon Drake still looks like a good bet for 50-plus receptions, which is going to give him a solid spot, especially in a PPR format. Exactly, and he's been a super efficient player over the past two seasons. And I, and I do think keeping him in you know, the 12 to 14 touch range is going to you know make him a better bet to maintain that efficiency. Yeah, and there's always the chance that Miami goes into the season planning to split them evenly in the backfield, and then Drake just outperforms Balazs and earns more through the season. That's the thing that's that can be difficult to bet on when you're drafting, but it's something to keep in mind that we've got a full 16-game season and things change. Exactly. I have to tell, me that, my, tell myself that all the time. What backfields and what teams in general look like week one is nothing close to what they're going to look like come week 12. Right. And speaking of backfields that have a lot of different directions they could go, Jarek McKinnon is the next guy up on the faller list. So this might seem oddly timed, Jarek McKinnon, a faller right now, because as we're speaking, he was just activated today from the pup list. We're finally going to get to see the Niners backfield at full strength. Tevin Coleman, Jarek McKinnon, Matt Breida. McKinnon has been the one who has tumbled. He was running back 46 heading into training camp early round 11. As of this morning, he was running back 54 in early round 13, so about a two-round drop, eight spots in running back ADP, which certainly makes sense because we haven't seen him play any football at all since last August. Now, he dropped just behind Matt Breida in ADP. Tevin Coleman, though, has not made any move up correspondingly, so how are you treating this Niners backfield? I think preseason is going to be big for these guys, and we'll see what McKinnon's able to do. You know, he's I would highly doubt he's going to play in this first game. Was able to do some individual drills on on Tuesday here in his first practice, so we'll see. Honestly, I haven't been taking any of these guys very often, and if I have, it's been McKinnon and Breda just because they're so cheap. We know there's going to be fantasy points here, but if it's a three-headed monster, it's you know it's going to be tough to rely on in fantasy lineups. 
Yeah, this is one of those backfields that looks a lot better for best ball where I don't have to decide who's starting in a given week. And even then, I have not taken much of it either. Uh, Tevin Coleman has been the one I would most likely do because I think he's a better bet for touches than Matt Breida, even at the their relative prices. But he just comes at a point where I'm usually looking at wide receivers like Sammy Watkins or Alshon Jeffrey. I usually have at least three running backs rostered. So it hasn't worked. Matt Breida... I think I still believe that he's been the best value just because of how late he's going. But as we shift from less, from more from best ball to lineup setting, I would probably rather just back out of this backfield and let it be somebody else's headache. Yeah, I, I agree that Tevin Coleman's the best bet. Um, but even when I have been looking running back in his range, which you know tends to be like the sixth round, um, you know, again, I could potentially get Kenny and Drake there. I could potentially get Chris Carson there and I, I like those guys quite a bit better than Tevin Coleman and Lamar Miller is going two spots behind Tevin Coleman so it's a little tough to say yeah I'll take this guy even though I have no idea how many touches he's going to get each week over this guy who is going to lead his team in carries every single week yep exactly Andy Isabella is, leads the wide receivers in this category and I mean Jared that kind of goes along with the Keyshawn Johnson bit from earlier yeah, exactly. We, we mentioned Isabella has uh, reportedly been struggling with drops early in camp. And, you know, he, he was the guy the Cardinals took in the second round this spring. So, you know, you thought he was the favorite, but it sounds like he's been passed by Keyshawn Johnson. So I'm not completely writing Isabella off, obviously. But, you know, again, if you're looking for that late round flyer in the Cardinals wide receiver core, it should be Keyshawn Johnson right now. Yeah, it seems that way right now. Uh, Isabella would still be going late anywhere where you can take a shot. Uh, things will change assuming that he's not dropping the ball so much that it's just going to be a red shirt year. There's still room for him to emerge, but we have a lot that needs to play out in the Arizona wideout core. So I would not be looking at investing much in anybody beyond Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald there. Yeah. And drops weren't a problem for Isabella at UMass. So, you know, it's not something I'm super concerned with at this point. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that can often be overrated by those of us watching, whereas the team winds up being less, concerned until you know the player gets into games and drops some makes some prominent drops that that turn a game or two right Robert Foster next on the wideout list and really a guy that I've been I've thought was overrated all along and he appears to be the clear number four in the Bills wide receiver depth chart at this point yeah and this is a problem with being an undrafted guy in the NFL you know Foster he was he was really good down the stretch last year but you know he, he gets gets the training camp here and you know he's behind the free agent additions in Brown and Beasley he's behind you know Zay Jones who what the Bills took with the second round pick a few years ago so you know I, I don't think Robert Foster's dad you know, again we went to that training camp practice and he was clearly the fourth wideout but he also did get some reps with Josh Allen and the first team offense so again you know I think I think maybe with a big preseason things change but for now he's the number four guy in a passing game that's it's not definitely not going to support four guys. Right, and probably not going to support three of them. So <laughs> he's dropped from wide receiver 66 in, in ADP to wide receiver 77, down about two rounds. Uh, and, you know, going at the end of the draft, if you like Robert Foster and you really want to take a shot on him, go for it. I'm not interested in him anywhere inside a regular-sized best ball draft. I think that certainly with his combo of downfield speed and Josh Allen, you can find a spot for him in a 28-round FFPC draft. Yeah, yep, I agree. 
Uh, Ricky Seals Jones, the low, t- the lone tight end on this list. No movement on the ADP board. Why is he a faller here? I just thought it was interesting that you know the Cardinals had him listed third on their initial depth, depth chart, and you know the, the early August depth charts really don't mean anything. But just interesting that you know Seals Jones, the guy who was there last year, is behind Charles Clay, a free agent addition who is still on the pup list. He hasn't even practiced yet, and the Cardinals have him listed as the first team tight end. And then even your boy Max Sexsick Williams, <laughs> um, another free agent addition is uh, number two on the depth chart. So it sounds like Seals Jones has a lot of work to do. Not not a draftable guy at this point. Yeah, Seals Jones is not a rookie. He's not out with an injury. He's been there for three years. So whatever the motivation for putting him third, whether he really is their third tight end at this point, or it's a motivational ploy from a, a coaching staff that doesn't feel like he's at his max yet, there's no good scenario for him showing up there no matter how realistic the depth chart is i i'm totally out on arizona cardinals tight ends even if i'm drafting an ffpc I'm, I'm out on this position because you combine it just being an ugly crowded group with cliff kingsbury's texas tech teams using absolutely no tight ends after jason morrow led his first red raiders team with receptions Exactly. And as I mentioned, you know, there was that article that talked about the Cardinals, you know, being in four wide receiver sets, and then you're obviously going to have David Johnson on the field. So in that case, there's not even going to be a tight end on the field. So I think it's probably just a spot to completely ignore in fantasy drafts. I agree. So Jared, why is there a kicker finishing off this list? (laughs) Oh, because, you know, I'm in all these FFPC drafts and I'm trying to get three starting kickers. I'm trying to keep up on all the kicker news around the NFL. Uh, Mason Crosby might be someone you want to shy away from, at least at this point. He's been battling a, a calf injury and, you know, supposedly battling Sam Ficken for the starting job. Um, So Crosby, definitely not one of those, you know, safe, locked-in starting kickers. Yeah, so Mason Crosby did come off the non-football injury list on Sunday, practiced for the first time Sunday after missing the first eight workouts with that calf injury. Matt LaFleur said that Mason Crosby had been kicking on his own throughout camp, so it sounds like the calf is okay, and they were just giving him time to get all the way back from it. Sam Ficken, meanwhile, went 9 of 12 in the team's scrimmage on Saturday. And my reason why I'm not going to worry about him right now is that even though he has filled in with the Rams each of the past two years, he has not been able to stick anywhere. And it's been four years since Sam Ficken finished at college. So to me, he just looks like one of those fringe NFL kickers that shows up when a team is is in a pinch, but I think if he were really any good, he would have found a home by now. No, that, that's fair, and I would definitely bet on Crosby being the Packers guy. But you know, if I can help it, and I'm trying to get you know three kickers in these deep FFPC drafts, I would I would rather take someone else besides Crosby, who you know maybe has a 10 percent chance of getting cut. I'm looking forward, at least for the sake of those drafts, to when we can get rid of some of these kicker competitions, <laughs> when we can find out whether the Bucks or the Browns are going to give up on dudes that they just spent fifth round picks on. I know it's horrible. You gotta you gotta spend like three straight picks on kickers in rounds fifteen through seventeen right now just to make sure you get three safe guys. Ugh, yeah. And that's our <laughs> talk. I think that should do it for this ADP Movers edition of the podcast. You can head over to DraftSharks.com now to check the rankings to see who has moved up or down based on injuries or camp performance. Create your own MVP board to see exactly how to properly value all those players in your draft. Then try out your strategy in our Mock Draft Trainer. It is free to use even if you're not a DS Insider, but... If you're an insider, you get the full benefit of the customized MVP board. You get our rankings at play there. So you can really see how things are going to perform and happen in your draft for real before you get to the real thing. 
You can also find us on Twitter. We are at Draft Sharks. Jared is at Smola DS. I am at Shauf DS. It's S C H A U F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shauf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.